when you are selling to an SME, the SME is an extension of consumer. So the SME behavior uh, in terms of, you know, what appeals to them is more a buying decision. Welcome to Asia Growth Forecast by HubSpot, a podcast where we dissect successful sales strategies of fast-growing brands and show you how to grow your business in Asia. We talk with sales leaders from brands like Neom, Aspire, VMware and Asana to uncover the secret sauce behind their sales motion and to understand what it takes to win the hearts and the minds of buyers in this region. I am Romka Falkovyak. And I am Adarsh Norona and together we lead sales for HubSpot across Southeast Asia and India. And we'll be your host this season. Now let's get into today's show. Hi everyone, welcome to Asia Growth Forecast. Today we are talking to Sanjeev Razdan, the global head of SME business and B2B commercial payments at Instagram. Instagram is a leading cross-border payments business focused on simplifying overseas payments and transfers for both businesses and individuals. Instagram is owned and powered by global fintech unicorn Neom. Neom is also Singapore's first B2B unicorn and is backed by the likes of Vertex Ventures, Temasek and Singapore's sovereign wealth fund, GIC. Welcome, Sanjeev. We are super excited to have you with us today. Thanks, Ari. Good to see you. I also have Romka, my usual partner in crime here. Hi, Romka. How are you doing today? Very good. Very good. Thank you. I'm very excited about this conversation with Sanjeev today. Hi, Sanjeev. Sanjeev. You have spent few decades in the financial services industry, right? From the likes of American Express to HSBC, and now you're leading the SME and B2B commercial payment business at Instagram. Tell us a bit more about your career journey, what your current role encompasses, and what Instagram's vision is. Okay, so let me begin by making it very simple. So I never chose to be a sales guy. It happened by default. Uh, uh, so way back uh, in my career, if I look back and see what I wanted to do, I, I was actually a young guy who was just out of college, uh, finished my business administration, and I didn't have a job at that time. So one of my friends called and said, hey, we're doing this interview for a company, which is going to be giving you an opportunity to travel, see lots of parts of the country would you be interested and join us so we were part of the same batch so i thought it'd be good to work with ex-friends and ex-classmates so i just went there did the interview and uh, i got in so that's how my journey started and i started liking it i started liking the whole aspect of meeting new people and talking to them and sharing with them uh, you know the solutions that this company could offer after a couple of years i had this brainwave in my head that i should go and work overseas because at that time india was still a very closed economy mm. and you know working overseas was uh, what would fascinate people in India to make money. So I got an opportunity to interview with American Express at that time. It was very, very exclusive because uh, Amex was uh, one of the few big multinationals that were operating in India. But in my luck, they thought something was good in me. They hired me. Uh, and that's how my journey with Amex started. Uh, I started selling foreign exchange way back in India. And from there, in the, my first year, uh, first two years, I did pretty well as a sales guy. And I got into um, cards because they were just about to launch commercial cards in India. And I was the first sales guy uh, to lead that in the market. And then I went with them to Hong Kong and then came into Singapore 
as part of uh, my global uh, rotation, uh, you know, that I did within the company over a couple of decades. And then um, I said to myself at that time, uh, how fascinating it would be to work in a bank because um, I always thought that bank had so many customers, so it should be very easy to go and approach these customers and sell. So I got an opportunity with HSBC to head up uh, commercial cards, uh, commercialization and the product management side of it. So I joined HSBC in Singapore. And uh, after four or five years, it was just out of the blue that I saw Prajit Nanu, who's, uh, who's our founder and CEO at Niem. I wrote to him in LinkedIn. I connected with him and how Prajit is. He was responsive within minutes. Uh, <laughs> And he said, yeah, come over, let's have a chat. And, and, and that's how, uh, you know, I took a liking for him the day I saw him. I mean, so he's such a fascinating guy. I wanted to be like him. Uh, so I told him I would want to work for you. And he said, yeah, sure. And it just kind of panned out. Uh, it took me about a year, a year and a half to say yes. And, and that's how I joined Niem in 2020, just before the pandemic. The first few months were scary because uh, as I joined in January, the pandemic happened. And, you know, you're leaving a bank and then you're now in a fintech and you don't know what your journey is going to be. But Prajit maneuvered that whole phase pretty well. And I must say hats off to him uh, from where we were in 20. 2022 where we are now is just too good to be true. It's just a fascinating story. What I do in um, uh, Instagram, which is a brand under the NEM part, I manage the SME business. So we are more into direct to customer kind of roles where we go out and reach out to small and medium enterprises in Singapore and across other geographies uh, where we operate. And those are the customers to whom we sell our uh, solutions and we work with these customers directly ourselves. So that part of uh, Niem business is called Instagram. It also covers a consumer business where the same customers can use our platform for their individual remittances and transfers and also their corporate side where they use us as a corporate solution. That's impressive and it's fantastic just to see the growth trajectory that Neum has been on, especially that, you know, it's a Singaporean business making such large waves across Asia and as well globally, right? So even more excited right now for our conversation today. And you are heading the SMB sales for Neum. You're a perfect candidate to talk about that and we are really excited to learn some best practices from you. We know that small and medium businesses are the heart of Asia's economy. Actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but 96% of uh, Asian businesses are actually SMB and mid-market businesses, which is quite impressive. So they also provide two out of three private sector jobs in the region, which makes it makes it clear that winning in, in Asia means mastering how to sell to SMBs. So let's start here. Sanjeev, if you could tell us, in your opinion, what are some distinct advantages of selling to SMBs versus selling to enterprise customers? And why should sales leaders prioritize the segment over others? First of all, and this is my personal mm -hmm. opinion, you never sell, you make them buy. So when we talk about, and, and the difference between selling to say making an SME buy versus an enterprises enterprise sales is where you make them decide you see the difference and let me elaborate a little bit on these words of what what does it mean when you are selling or when you are meeting an enterprise customer the decision making process with them is involving a lot of more stakeholders within the company so a large enterprise would typically have finance uh -huh. procurement uh, and you know some other decision makers who would be part of 
of the decision making. So it's more about how do you influence a decision from them? And, and that would mean that how do you handle the various stakeholders? How do you manage your objections? How do you handle them? How do you uncover their needs and, and you know understand a little bit more around what would appeal to the different participants in that decision-making process. So enterprise sales is all about your ability to create a decision out of that prospect that you are approaching. When you are selling to an SME, the SME is an extension of consumer. So the SME behavior uh, in terms of, you know, what appeals to them is more a buying decision. Like when you go to say, for example, a mall and you want to buy something like a shirt for yourself. So there are different stores who are displaying the same type of shirt. It's a, it's a piece of clothing that you are buying, right? But what you do as a consumer is that they're not selling to you. You are buying based on how you experience when you go in over there. So if one store is selling a discount and you your experience is because you want savings, you would want to go and buy something which is a discounted piece of clothing. Or if you are a kind of a buyer who is more interested in customer experience and they greet you well and, and they handle you well when you walk into the store, you're likely to be influenced by that and buy that. When we are selling to SME, it is also our ability to see how you can influence their buying, which means that they understand why they should deal with you versus someone else. Right? And when we look at the landscape of these SMEs in uh, ASEAN or Asia Pacific, all around the world, it is an extension of the consumer behavior because there's very little differentiation between, say, uh, an SME versus a consumer to the extent that, you know, the decision is still driven by a certain group of individuals or the director themselves when it is a small or medium enterprise. From an Instagram standpoint, what we do is that when we approach these SMEs, we try and go for those SMEs that are best suited for the kind of payment solutions that we offer. So it is more around understanding what we have to offer and also understanding what the customer may be interested in knowing or, or buying from us. So it's going to be that whole piece of how do you marry the two together to come up with a solution that would best come as a buying signal from for the SME. That's fascinating. Adi, any ideas from you, perhaps? I know that you've done uh, you've done a little bit of SMB selling as well in your career. Absolutely, Ramka, and mm. and I'm uh, in sync with Sanjeev's points there, especially around identifying the right persona in this and not mm -hmm. trying to sell them, but making them or enabling the SMBs to be able to come and purchase because it's a one-to-many game. It's not a one-to-one -one kind of an account mapping or white spacing organizations have to do. Uh, I like the fact that you know where the decision lies. I think around 74% of SMBs, that's where I read a report which says the business owner researches new products and services themselves. So given this scenario, businesses should ensure that the messages reaches the right persona, right audience, despite this not being a one-to-one -one engagement. It's a hard game in SME. It's, it's never easy. But the, mm -hmm. but the good thing is SMEs are one shorter sales cycles. There is less red tape. It's easier than large enterprises to reach to the desk of the business owners or the decision maker. And large amount of SMEs allows an easier lead generation for you as a business. So you could come out with many strategies 
that will help you to gather this. So very glued to what Sanjeev was saying. And I think if you can figure out a scalable model, we always say at Upspot, right? We grow with our customers. We've, mm-hmm. we've been helping millions of customers to really adopt HubSpot. And so thousands of organizations have started using HubSpot and they've grown together and we have, we have grown with them. How does this magic happen? Because we understand where they are and we understand what they need and we make it easy for the customers to know about us, research about us. By the time we are talking to a customer, they know about you already. That makes it much more the sales cycle, which I said, shorter. These are the advantages of SMB selling for businesses, I feel. Exactly. And I think what is worth adding as well is uh, to what Sanjeev, uh, you were just saying about you make them buy, you convince them, right? We need to be in line with the buyer's buying style or process uh, to help them buy from us or help them buy what they need for their business to grow. Another element as well, I think that is uh, that is important is that SMBs are more agile. There is less red tape, right? So it's just as well so much simpler in many ways to lead a selling process or a buying process alongside with them this way. Okay, so let's switch gears just uh, just a little bit. And uh, right now, I'd love to ask uh, perhaps another question in, in kind of the same vein. From your experience, what are the most common challenges perhaps uh, sales uh, leaders and sales professionals face when trying to sell to SMBs, particularly in Asia? And are there any unique challenges when you operate in the payments industry and sell to SMBs? Okay, let me answer this question in two parts. Uh, so the first thing is you asked about mm-hmm. challenges. So let's say you are a salesperson who has just joined an organization, right? So, and you are, you, your job is going to be that you're going to go and see and sell to an SME business. So in my opinion, the first thing as a salesperson you should do is to know about your company that you are joining and about the products yeah. that they have. So for example, uh, within Instagram, if we have a new salesperson joining, the first thing we do is go take them through an orientation strategy of helping them understand what exactly is our payment solution and what are the different elements in which it can be presented. Because before you step out and start selling, you need to know everything about your company and product. Because if you don't know that, you will either end up doing, you, you may still be able to do sales, but you may not be able to get the maximum out of that opportunity that you are pursuing. So the first part of this is to know about the organization, to know about the products that you have and how to position them in the market. Now, sometimes we do not necessarily hire people only from this same industry or people who come with a prior background in say payments we may end up hiring somebody from cross industry as well because as a leader uh, i i like to give opportunities to people across different industries to come and try a hand in payments but most important is for you as an individual to understand what the payment products are and be passionate about uh, you know, wanting to go and, and use them in the full sense of the term when you are meeting a prospect. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is uh, knowing about the prospect that you are trying to approach. 
right? If you don't know who your potential customer is going to be, even if you have the best knowledge about the products of your own company, you will not be able to sell. Doing that research that RD was referring to, just like a customer can do research on, on us, we need to do a research on the prospect that we want to mm-hmm. go for. Mm-hmm. Now that could be, you know, you can go at an industry level and say, I want to penetrate into this particular industry. And then by default, uh, you know, all the prospects within this industry I want to go after, that could be a strategy or you can say i want to go broad across different industries and target within that certain profile of prospects based on the best use case that my payment products can offer so something like that needs to be done like a homework or a research and then you start on your journey of making you know the sales process happen uh, during the various stages that it will happen so right from the cold calling down to the decision making process you go through that whole journey but the start of that journey is knowing about your company knowing about your products and at the same time also knowing about your customer or the prospect to whom you want to approach those are the fundamentals as long as those have been done well chances are that your uh, strike rate in converting opportunities would be pretty high Uh, there will always still be some who will say no but that's part of the game but at least you are going in the market we are going to be productive and then you're going to be successful so that's one part of this uh, whole piece that i wanted to Mm -hmm. share because i think a lot of people especially myself when i started in my journey as a salesperson uh, over time i learned this skill Part of that came through training that I got from the companies that I initially worked for. But a lot of that also came up as part of the skill learning that I learned over time through sheer experience. Now coming to uh, the other part of the question. uh, So the most important thing is to identify uh, certain value differentiators, right? Uh, Because in the SME space, you will also find uh, that they because they have to buy, they need to understand why would they want to make a change from what they are doing today and, and take someone else. Like if they want to use Instagram, for example, for cross-border payments, why would they want to do that? They, they have the option of working with whoever they are working with today. It could be a bank, could be another fintech. So it's all it's all about being able to present what's the value differentiator that they will receive if they were to make a change. Uh, and that's what we try and position all the time that in our sales process itself, uh, we try and help our customers understand the fact that, for example, if they were to make this change, what's the benefit they're going to get? Is it going to be that they can do faster payments? Is it going to be that they can pay in multiple currencies far more than what their current providers can? Or it could be that Uh, They can get savings because of the special rates that I can offer to them and so on and so forth. So there are many, many differentiators that you can spin around and present. Uh, Again, it's 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 subject to the uh, your understanding of what your company that you're representing is offering as part of the product uh, solve and then talking about that product solve as and weaving that product solve into the needs of the customer and making them understand that you're trying to solve a problem for them so we try and and do that uh, as part of our sales strategy in instagram and that's why uh, we train our people uh, you know in that 
flow. So that that's very important when you are selling to an SME because they need to understand what's in it for them. Mm-hmm. And and some of them, uh, depending on uh, the nature of their business, may may seek an immediate gratification as well. So uh, the the attention span of an SME to stick with you uh, as a client uh, is also driven by an immediate gratification of what they can see as a benefit versus say, for example, a large enterprise that would uh, kind of wait over time because for them, uh, beyond just the immediate benefit, it is also the long-term benefits of process efficiencies and you know administrative benefits, etc., which are more driven by the fact that because they are large, they have different teams and they have different amount of headcount and therefore they can see that over all those. But for SME, it is more like immediate gratification. So a lot of this has to be in form of you know, what's more immediate benefit and then how do I get a long-term value if I were to still remain your client? So we we kind of weave the both of them together into the into the story and and then do a problem solve for them in that I love that. And there is, you know, again, I um I see that this theme of helping customers to buy the right thing for them that is going to make their business grow is is absolutely key and i absolutely agree with you that doing a research a proper research of who you're selling to not only on an organizational level but also on a stakeholder level level is extremely important right because driving with value is a very different sale than just going and selling because we want to close our number because we want to bring in revenue etc these are two very different things and the more we drive with value the more i think gratifying as well and rewarding the sale is another element as well i wanted to mention here is that you know we can't ignore the budget these are not publicly um, trading companies especially in the covid period a lot of smes simply went out of business because it was unsustainable for them so as a result of that you know those guys are paying out of their own pocket that's why that sale therefore needs to be much tighter it needs to be much more meaningful so that you know we we ensure that we are really addressing the the right level of problem arguably because really my belief is uh, and i'm sure that everybody here is going to agree that every sale really should be coming out from uh, from a need from a genuine um, drive to help customers to grow absolutely wrong and i think just want to add on to what you said i mean say the the commercial part of it in terms of the uh, is is one price is a very critical component of that because people always go and look at you know price even if i go in a shop and i want to buy something you know uh, i would want to look at the price tag but I think people buy or uh, SMEs buy not just because of price. SMEs would buy because of the total value exactly. that they can get. Mm-hmm. Now, for, for example, yeah. if I'm an SME, I have less headcount, right? I don't have large teams. So if you can give me a solution that is going to be simple to implement where the effort on of change, of making that change is minimal on my staff because I don't have too many people. I don't have the luxury of having too many people. I am more likely to go for that versus something that may be cheaper in price but will lead to a lot of issues downstream and then I have my whole couple of people that I have in my team are going to be struggling trying to solve that. And there'll be a long-term cost 
that I carry on my books, just managing that process that I've just implemented. Think about the value. Uh, price is an important component, but there are other things like, for example, I just mentioned the ease of doing that or what is going to be the support I'm going to get uh, if I have an issue like uh, for example at instagram for the for a majority of our customers we do provide uh, account management support mm -hmm. so that they know there's a warm body that they can reach out to and smes like that because smes uh, like to have one-to-one -one interface uh, with their supplier so in a way we are a supplier to them for payment needs uh, so the fact that we can provide a warm body support to them somebody like a account manager who is there who, that they can reach out to they love it right it's a personalized experience part of it uh, which becomes a uh, a huge element in their decision making process so it's all about it's like putting it all together right. you know it's like price it is the sensitivity of how you handle the relationship it's the ease of doing business uh, and you put it all together and you give it to them and they will love it they will love it and say yeah this is the one i want to just go for. bottled up a secret sauce for how to run uh, businesses with smb i i really love the fact of you saying weaving your products uh, product all and mapping the business impact some of the best sales guys and the most successful sales guys who have sold and loved by their customers that i've seen they are not the guys who do the best demos or they are not the guys who know the product in and out but they are the guys who understood what the problem at the customer's place was and asked themselves can i solve that using my product or my platform or my services that kind of a business mapping to your product, that feature that you have is a gift. I think that has defined some of them to become really, really highly successful salespeople. I want to pick up on the support piece that you mentioned. I love the rest of that. We will come back to them, but I want to just go deeper onto the support piece because we at Upspot see that as well. Our, our customers love us for the way we support them across. We call it support around the sun. Basically, any time of the day, wherever you are in the globe, you can call up and there is somebody from Upspot answering you. So we've, we managed to build that. I'm very keen to hear from your experience. How critical is this, especially when you're running an SMB-focused uh, business? Before we move into the next segment, here is a quick word from HubSpot. Is your software bill out of control? You're not the only one considering a breakup with your tech stack right now. Let me introduce you to HubSpot CRM. It's the best platform to speed up your sales and scale your business without blowing your budget. HubSpot's powerful CRM helps you automate tedious tasks, keep track of all your deals in one place and make sure your whole team has access to the same data. And best of all, you can try before you buy. No commitment, no hidden fees, not even a credit card is needed to sign up. Learn more at HubSpot.com. See, uh, support is, is, the, is the backbone of, of the value delivery. So in the front end, you go and sell the value. When the rubber meets the road, that's the time when you are tested, right? How strong is your delivery of that value that you had promised? So when I go or my team goes and we make a promise to a customer, inside your heart, you need to be confident that the, the organization that you're working for will be able to deliver on that promise. So in any organization, therefore, having a good support structure is the fundamental of how that value that, value that, you, that is being mm -hmm. promised gets delivered so it's super important uh, however having said that 
uh, when we create a support structure, you know, it has to be a balanced approach. So there is no, you know, one size fit all kind of an approach. You obviously have uh, a certain levels of differentiation where you may say that for a certain segment of my customers, which may be classified as those who are the long tail part of my business, I would probably have more AI driven support infrastructure for my uh, other type of customers. And different companies have different nomenclatures. Some would call them gold, some will call them silver category and all that. It's basically based on, you know, what's the turnover or what's the rev that you are getting from them you may have more like an account management support structure but in a way this differentiation also means that you are able to create value for those customers who are willing to work more with you as an organization so as they move across these different stages like if they may be part of the long tail but tomorrow they may move into the upper streams of being gold diamond or whatever you want to call them as customers you provide them additional level of support in form of maybe warm bodies or or other means of how you recognize their contribution to your to your revenue or to your business so support can be structured and tiered uh, based on the realis- the realistic ability to deliver but there has to be a basic core support that needs to exist for the value to be delivered in the market and for that promise to hold true to your clients. And that's the basic thing that every organization should do. Absolutely. And I think uh, you mentioned about the way you can leverage technology and the innovative new things that are coming in the market. You mentioned AI to be used in customer support for the long tail. That's, That's a brilliant nugget. I'm sure when you have thousands and thousands of customers, you don't want to really have that much of pressure on the infrastructure internally for yourself. Rather leverage, the end of the day, You all you want to achieve is faster response to a customer who needs help. And that defines how much of stickiness you will have and creating customers forever. Shifting gears a little bit, and I'm, I'm conscious of some of the fundamentals that you mentioned. I want to know a couple of things here. I want to know whether... These fundamentals are common across SMBs in even Southeast Asia because you know how different we are, how fragmented we are. Different nations have varied rate of economy that is growing. Some are struggling, some are booming and you get governments who are helping SMBs to grow in some regions. So how does this happen? So I I want to pick your brain on some of the key principles that we can keep in mind when selling to SMBs in Asia specifically and how can what kind of advices would you rather give to the leaders of such businesses and the sales professionals in such businesses to tackle this segment in Asia it comes back to just the basic fundamentals geographies don't change the behavior of of these SMEs basically there will be some nuances based on local regulations and and local market conditions but by far nature SMEs are people who who like a few things so one is how good you are in understanding their need now it again depends on which industry you are representing so uh, some some kind of industries may have products that are defined by technological Uh, specifications and therefore your ability to state those tech specs and sell within that space is important in the industry that i work for is very open industry called payments uh you know we are into cross-border payments so that is a need across most of the industries because if there is a business that exists it needs to pay somebody and receive payments from somebody so it depends on the 
type of industry that you are a salesperson in. Uh, but if you are talking about payments specifically, I think it's more about two or three things that most of the SMEs across markets that I find look for. Uh, one, of course, is is the fact that they all look for savings because by the nature of their business, you know, they like to negotiate and they like to get uh, savings going for themselves in terms of cost. Yeah, everybody does. As I said, SMEs are an extension of consumer mm-hmm. behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So we all, we also love to go and bargain in, in shops, right? And give me some more discounts. So it's natural. Uh, but uh, one of the common things in that I find across most of these SMEs is they like to hear, you know, what's in it for them. When you are approaching them, do not make it what's in it for you try and talk about what's in it for them. Now, how would you figure that thing out, what's in it for them, is by asking a few questions. So salespeople, my advice would be, you know, talk less and ask more and listen more. Because if you go and start straight away, you know, it's like releasing what you have in your head right away to the customer, trust me, they're not going to buy from you because you're not listening. But the core of all this is your ability to understand what is the other party looking for before you start talking about yourself. And that's the fundamental that every salesperson needs to do. Like if you are going and dating somebody and you don't know that person, how your date is going to be successful (laughs) if you cannot find out what is that other person interest in you, right? Is it as simple as that? You need to figure out why would they be interested in you rather than you're trying to push them into buying what you want to sell to them. That's where the fundamental difference lies and the success and failure rates depend on the ability of that individual to follow this fundamental principle. So as long as you understand what interests the customer and you do some homework, you figure out what their industry is, maybe you go there and say one or two words about them that make them feel good about you, 90% (laughs) of the sales is. After that, they will listen. Otherwise, after two minutes, they switch off. They may be sitting in front of you, but they're thinking about the issue that they're having in their back end rather than talk, listening to what you are blabbering. So it's very so, Sanjeev, it's I'm very afraid, as my audiences are listening to this, I think there will be a lot of demand for us to have another episode of uh, this podcast with you, but based on how to do dating. So I'm <laughs> conscious of that. But <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously, it's like, it's like, you know, cold, I, you know, if you ask me, cold calling is like blind date because you, you don't know who is on the other side, right? You're trying to reach to a, somebody that you can talk sense to, but you don't know it's blind, right? So cold calling is equivalent to blind dating. And when you are actually doing a customer interface for the first time in person, it is like going on a date. You need to be properly dressed so that the other person has a good impression about you. You need to talk a little bit about the other person and make them speak so that you start understanding who they are and they start acknowledging the fact that you you look at them as an individual, you acknowledge them as a person or you acknowledge them as a client and then their interest level in you is going to be higher than just you're trying to push your yeah. agenda with them. That's what differentiates a success versus uh, uh, an average uh, performance. Active listening part of it for the sales guys, the tips that you gave them. It reminded me of my first manager, uh, Bhupati Raju in Oracle. He asked me one day, how many years do you have? I said two. How many mouths do you have? I said one. 
He said, what did God tell you? I was confused. He said, you speak half of what your customers tell you. So please listen double and speak half. That's really great into me. And uh, every time I speak to my, and we listen to so many call recordings, we train our reps. What do we do? We see how much of customer conversation, how many, how much of percentage did they speak? Because then you know whether it was a good call or rep. Yeah, no, definitely. This is very strong. And you know, at the end of the day, nothing beats genuine curiosity during the discovery call or discovery meeting, not only the pain points of the customer, but also what has been their journey, where do they want to go next? Now we're coming to that part of the show, Sanjeev, where we ask our guests to look into their crystal balls and predict the future. So uh, here's the question for you. What is your forecast for how sales in Asia will evolve over the next five and to 10 years? And what is the one thing that you think will change? The one thing that definitely will change is the use of AI and uh, let's say digital means not, not just AI, but let's say digital way of acquiring customers. See, companies are looking at how do I reduce costs? So the definition of cost in one way is that how do I use my resources that I already have in the most optimal manner, but at the same time, I'd want to drive scalability. So if I want to drive scalability, I can't endlessly keep hiring, right? So at some point, um, I would need to start looking at how do I make my entire sales process, both in terms of onboarding, acquisition, onboarding, and then service or delivery uh, more automated and driven by uh, tech. So one feature of the use of tech as an important source of how do you drive the whole acquisition, onboarding, sales, and customer experience process is definitely going to be rising. And it, it's already uh, kind of become a core part of most organizations, but we're going to see this becoming bigger and bigger play in the future. The role of the sales individuals in the organization would get more centered around going for the high net worth clients. So it is going to become a little bit more sophisticated uh, in terms of your sales skills and your ability and, and the way you are able to go and apply those skills in, in the real market. So a lot of more emphasis on training, upskilling and going and after the high-end customers with warm bodies is going to be the play, but more digitized and more use of AI and technology for acquisition to reduce the cost. That that's definitely is going to be the mainstay of how it will be in the next four to five years. Absolutely. There is a lot changing in, in the world of tech, especially right now, right? And I think uh, everything you said makes me think as well that sales leaders will need to be different as well. They will need to adapt to that as well, to the different way of selling, to welcoming much more technology into the sales process and then marrying that together as well with how they manage people, their own people and how those people sell to, to organizations. So and that's very inter interesting. Sanjeev. This was such a gripping session and I must thank you for sharing so much of nuggets with myself and Romka because our audiences, when they have tuned into listening to the podcast, which says, how do I crack the code of SME sales in Asia? This probably is on top of every single business owner uh, who has a business in any country in Asia for us. And I think they have definitely... Um, taken a lot of valuable nuggets at the end of the show. How you started to say, don't sell, make them buy, which in itself is a deep conversation. 
and the essence of mapping the true persona, be it industry-wise or vertical-wise, or you know who's the buying person in SMBs generally. We mentioned more than three-fourths of the times it's the business owner. So have strategies and campaigns that reach out to them and show the value so that they do the research and come. You do your research so that you enable it for them. And you have some of the things that you mentioned were around how do successful business people and the salespeople keep customers' issues on top of the agenda and then try to solve that with the product or the services that you have. Because SMBs, like you rightly said, need the gratification of the product quickly. And that's when they stay with you longer. Your churns are less. Your long-term value to the cost of acquisition is higher. And they are also price conscious. But it was it's a myth, like you rightly said, that SMBs buy cheaper products. No, they look at value products, they look at quality because they're also looking to grow quickly, but they don't want to have multiple issues in the tech stack, for example, and they don't want to revisit these things. So they would rather opt for something that is a long term. And in the other side of business, which is internally, you can leverage AI and so many new tech uh, platforms so that your infrastructure can support that much of um, magnitude of SMB customers. So thank you so much for taking time, Sanjeev. Myself and Ramka, we thoroughly enjoyed um, when you are sharing your insights. We want to wish you and Niam um, a continued success on your journey and on your mission of building the payment infrastructure for on-demand money movement globally. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sanjeev. Thank you, Adi. Thank you, Ramka. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into HubSpot Asia Growth Forecast today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to this show. Oh, and one more thing. If you found the discussion valuable, share it with at least one more person who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode and we will see you real soon on Asia Growth Forecast.